0: i am the knight i am matt lazowitz and welcome to this week's episode of bat chat with matt and will a batman ranking podcast where each week my co-host will nevin and, and i dig into three batman stories discuss them and rank them on the big board thus creating a giant list of batman stories from best to worst will how are you tonight
1: oh, i'm doing great matt it is schrodinger's christmas in that it is both before and after Christmas since we're recording this. Let me ask you this. I've settled on a Christmas present for Abby and myself. We're going to put together a home arcade. What are some of your arcade memories?
0: I have a couple of distinct memories of certain games, but you got to remember I'm from Jersey. And so while I'm not as much of a shore person as a lot of Jersey people are. Not big on beaches, on sun and things like that. It, you know, I'm, I'm. You, a, you are know, not a
1: tan gentleman.
0: No, no. One side is Irish. One side is Russian. We, you know, th- those are two very fair skinned. You know, th- th- we burn. We we just burn, <laughs> but still wouldn't down the shore. And so a lot of the arcade for me is skee ball.
1: Oh, I fucking love skee ball.
0: Exactly. Big, big fan of skee ball. But I do remember getting a roll of a full roll of quarters and going to this arcade that was somewhere in around where I grew up that had the double cabinet X-Men arcade game, the one that had could do up to six players, not just your typical like two to four that you can get in a normal game. Shit.
1: Oh shit. Up to six.
0: Yeah. And I just plunked quarters into that thing until I beat the game. Just kept going. It took a while. It was it was, you know, well over an hour of just quarter after quarter after quarter, but dang it I beat that game.
1: So we're starting with four of the uh uh one-up arcade cabinets simpsons Another terminator one. nfl blitz and mortal Kombat.
0: very nice that simpsons game was in the i don't know what you'd even call it like foyer or like the, of a like kmart type store near my house it wasn't a kmart but it was within walking distance of my house if you were willing to run across a fairly busy street that didn't have a crosswalk Which I was because I was, you know, 13 and immortal. Of course. And so I would regularly just like bring a bunch of quarters and just walk over to the department store thing and just play some Simpsons arcade game. Who's your character in Simpsons? Uh, uh, Typically a Homer guy. Mm. So you're going, you go for power. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: With Ninja Turtles, always Donatello. X Men, I tend to go Cyclops.
0: I would go Cyclops. I would go Leo, and Lisa. All about range for me. Range ah, or reach. Very good,
1: very good. So uh, we're getting those uh, official machines, and I think in the new year we're gonna get a get a pirate box with uh, with a bunch more games like X Men.
0: Excellent. Are you also considering a pinball machine at some point?
1: The uh, the dining room, which we're converting into this, uh, probably didn't have enough space for a pinball game. But I tell you, uh, if I could get just one pinball machine, it would be Star Trek: The Next Generation. Man, what a good fucking! I, I'm I'm shit at pinball, but I enjoyed the hell out of that. The sound effects, the the weird placement, and just like season six of Next Gen. But that was a fun table.
0: Okay. Now, I have a question for you tonight as well. Ah, uh, okay. Now, anyone who's listened to this show with any regularity knows that Will is mostly a digital reader. I am mostly a physical reader. But you pop into comic shops as you travel and such. That I do. What to you makes for a good comic shop? And what for you? makes for a bad comic shop. Ah, very good. So, you know, you mentioned that I
1: read books digitally. I'm looking for stuff that I can't get digitally. So like, uh, you know, the licensed crossovers. Just to pick one randomly off of my shelf right now, Army of Dead versus Darkman, right? Who the fuck knows who's got the license to Darkman comics these days, but that shit's not getting put out digitally. So that that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. So any any comic shop that's got that. So some some trades sitting in the back that I can pick through, that's stuff I'm looking for. And I think a bad comic shop and and I certainly understand why most of them are leaning in this direction, but a bad comic shop is one that has gone too far into the just the memorabilia. The the Funko's the the action figures, you know, I want to see a store that's still grounded in the books that has just not given up most of its floor space to just shit.
0: It's interesting because for me, since I am a regular in comic shops, I'm selection is a big deal for me as well. But for me, it's not just weird older stuff. It's I want a store that does more than Marvel, DC, Image, some Dark Horse, some Boom. I want a deeper bench than that. And frankly, I will forgive a lot of things from a less well-stocked shop if the staff is engaged and pleasant and will take all the points away from a shop with great selection if they're assholes.
1: Oh, oh my god aren't there aren't there enough assholes in uh, comic book shops jesus christ like this medium has enough problems
0: don't need the assholes uh gatekeeping this came about today because the shop that i shop at that i'm not going to mention by name because of the problems the the owner of my shop has been going through some financial problems so he he hasn't been able to get new books and he's finally kind of said this to me. I'm like, okay, so at least for a while, I need a stopgap shop until some things work out for him. And it it has to do with health health issues and stuff. So I'm not begrudging him anything because it's like, you got to take care of family. But today I was like, all right, I'm going to go to another shop. And I went to a, Fairly well-regarded shop in Philadelphia that I will also not mention my, my name because I'm about to tear them a new asshole. Oh, shit. Because I go in, so I immediately start pulling everything that I f- want off the racks. And that means I'm walking out of there with between 20 and 30 comics. Um, I, I, that's that's a week for me. And so I, I keep a little list in my wallet when I go to the comic shop just so I can make sure I'm not missing anything makes perfect sense and so i get up to you know the little side counter and i'm the guy sitting behind the counter on a wednesday so the store is busy is on his phone just not paying attention to anything being an asshole oh, oh this is barely the assholeness of it this is just him being you know a millennial and like excuse me uh, can i get a pen and there's like a cup of pens right next to the the register by the credit card machine excuse me can i get a pen I reach out and I start, and he looks at me. Yeah, just make sure you give it back. And then he goes right to his phone. I'm like, really, dude? So I go through the list, and I'm you know crossing stuff off. And of course, when I put the pen back, I make sure to make a a show of it. But while I've been doing that, a I see there's a gentleman who's in there who clearly has some sort of cognitive disability, and he wants to talk. And he's talking to this guy, and the guy is barely he's not looking up from his phone he's just letting Mm -hmm. this guy who's very excited and very loud just sort of talk at him versus engaging and i'm like okay you're a jackass and then someone who's clearly a regular walks in he's got his earbuds in and he's going over the racks so the guy behind the counter i must have looked up from his phone for a minute to see this guy reaches and pulls his reserve the books in his reserve out he's like dude, your books, man, your book. And he he keeps saying it. The guy's got earbuds in. The guy is just clearly looking at stuff. And I'm sure he was going to go up to the register and get his books. But he's practically shouting across the store at this guy. This is all bad. Yes. But what is worse are the two times I see him interact nicely at people. Women? One of the two. Yes. And it's, it, if, I hadn't seen him be such a jackass to everyone else before that. He wasn't overly skeevy. He was just much more friendly. But because he was such a jackass to everyone else, it's clear that he's trying to ingratiate himself.
1: Uh, gross.
0: Yep. And number two is me when I come up with a stack of books this thick. Because suddenly, oh, this guy's spending money. Now I have to actually put in some effort. If there hadn't been a big line by the time I got done, because people backed up behind me because I was walking out with a stack of books, a giant stack of books. I was tempted to say to him, you know, I was actually looking for a new comic shop because, and this is what I buy every week. And I was considering this place, but after seeing what an asshole you are, you're not on my list. But I was like, I don't need to start something when there's all these people around because some of them might be regulars and might get defensive of the shop or whatever. It's like, I'm just going to walk out. But next week, I'm going to be trying a different new shop because we don't need that in this culture right no. now.
1: No, absolutely not.
0: Well, yeah, so that that is is my topic of the night. And now that we've spent some time talking about not Batman things, is there, you know, I don't think there's ever been a Batman arcade game, or at least not a good one, because I don't remember ever seeing one. Uh I
1: don't think so. I, I think I think the pirate box is gonna have like some uh home console games on there. So there'll, there'll be some Batman.
0: Yeah, there's some good like classic, like NES. There, there were some fun ones there back, back in the day. But but it might be my and I have I have to finish the thought since, mm-hmm. since you brought it back up. My
1: total, like too deep nerd idea, which is which has been done before, so this is not entirely new because I'm able to go and find it on the internet. Uh You ever heard of the urban legend of Polybius? No. Ah, oh, it's uh it's supposedly this uh, this arcade game that like drove kids insane. Oh
0: yes, yes I have heard of this. I'd forgotten the name of the game, but I've Heard that myth.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get the
0: cabinet modded to look like a polybius console. Very nice. Yeah, I'm excited Very for that. Nice. But now I think it's time for us to actually, you know, talk about Batman.
1: Let's do the shoe.
0: So as we said, we are, you know, the the run-up to New Year's and another annual tradition, which, you know, hey, this is two years in a row. That makes it an annual tradition. Uh we're going New Year. New Batman, so we're once more swinging into three Elseworlds stories. And we are starting off with one of the big ones. This is Kingdom Come. Originally presented as Kingdom Come, numbers one through four, written by Mark Wade with art and colors by Alex Ross, letters by Todd Klein, edited by Bob Cahan. The cover dates were May to August of 1996. In the not-too-distant future, Superpowered beings are out of control, and a reckoning is coming. Pastor Norman McKay and the Spectre watch as Superman's return from self-imposed exile causes a, a splintering into factions of heroes and villains. And in the end, who survives and who perishes may be a matter of faith. This is probably one of the, if not the, sort of prototypical Elseworlds. This is the one that when somebody goes... What's an Elseworlds to read this? Maybe Red Rain and Superman Red Sun are probably the three that are brought up the most. One thing we're not going to do here is spend a lot of time going, oh, and did you see this Easter egg? Did you see this thing? And did you see that thing? Because Mark Wade is probably one of like seven to ten people on Earth who know their DC shit even better than I do. So every friggin panel in this book is just packed with easter eggs and it, it if we did that you could do a whole podcast breaking this book down page by page.
1: Oh, and I'm sure there is one out there. Now that we're in 2023,
0: right? We're this we're a few days out. This is the ah. Thursday before, so it's like the 27th or 28th.
1: Ah, but the people they could be listening to this in 2023. Indeed. Yes, they could. Uh, gonna be an interesting year for Mark Wade, going back to irredeemable this year. Yes.
0: Wade is an interesting writer in that he is a guy who does both nostalgia and some real dark stuff.
1: Oh, very dark
0: is better at balancing those two things than, say, Jeff Johns, who pays lip service to nostalgia and then has characters just being torn limb from limb every other page. It it does not work as well. Wade can either balance the two or write both. Because, I mean, Irredeemable is so unremittingly dark.
1: Oh, it finds new places to be dark. I think he benefits too when there's someone in position to tell him no.
0: Mm. Yeah, I guess with creator owned, you do what you do. But I mean, his his DC, his Marvel work tends towards the bigger and the brighter. You look at, I mean, his run on the Flash, his run on Fantastic Four. What he's doing in Superman and Batman: Superman, World's Finest now is much more nostalgic. But then you get Tower of Babel and you get Kingdom Come. But at least in the case of Kingdom Come, what is a dark story throughout has this core of hope and this philosophy that comes around at the end to be this story about humanity and about what makes us human and what makes us a community.
1: And it's funny you mentioned this is just sort of like the quintessential Elseworlds to me, especially in comparison to not only the Elseworlds we're reading tonight, but basically every other one that we've read, this is not so much of a, a crazy what if as just a, a story that's not necessarily set in continuity and it is some years in the future, but it does, You know, unlike some of the other stories that we read, it does carry the Elseworlds label. It is definitively not in, you know, mainstream DC continuity. But to me, it is not as far afield as some of these other books.
0: That's definitely true. I think it is considered this quintessential book because of the quality of the book. That this is Alex Ross at his best. This and Marvels, some of the other stuff that he'll do as time progresses, becomes more and more painterly. It becomes more stiff, more presentational. You still get movement in this book. You still, It still reads like a comic versus feeling like a series of paintings from page to page or panel to panel.
1: Ah, the uh, Bermejo books.
0: Yes. So another one who does something like that. But I'll say it again. I read this as it was coming out. And this has aged pretty well. But it's interesting to see how I've changed and how I read different bits of it differently now than I did when I was 15 years old. I mean, I've read this thing numerous times over the course of the intervening 26 years. But there are some things that I now look at and I see with very different eyes. And a lot of that has to do with the way Batman is presented here. And we will talk a lot about that because this is a Batman podcast. And thus, we are talking about the Batman aspects of this story. But this is a DC universe story like new frontier. This isn't a Batman story, although Batman is more important to this story than he is to new frontier.
1: I like the design we have for Batman. It's very interesting and it doesn't go so far into kind of the beyond territory as we see Bruce basically totally broken, totally infirm here. He has this exoskeleton, we're given hints of you know what the mantle has has taken you know the physical toll on him, but it's never really expressed as such. You just get the sense that he has put in a lot of physical time and effort into this crusade, and I just I really like the visual presentation,
0: oh, yes, this is a great looking Bruce. It's also fun to note Ross notes this in. His notes, his art notes at the back of the current volume of the trade, and I'm not sure when it came in, but I read the most recent edition of this because that's the one that's available on Infinite. He smiles throughout nearly all of this book. Not a wide smile, but he's got this smirk versus the very serious Batman that you usually get. This is a Batman who's just sort of got this knowing smirk which makes him just that little bit creepier throughout this whole story. And when he finally comes out in the the armor at the end, again, it's a great design, this big bat armor. It is a dark knight armor, which works when he's fighting Wonder Woman in the end. And, you know, we talked about it with Injustice, this is nowhere near as out of character as Injustice Wonder Woman is. And Wade does a job here to explain why Diana is more militant, which we at least don't get in the first year of Injustice. Again, I haven't read past that year, so I don't know if we get reasons that she is so bloodthirsty. but. These realities always seem to pair her off with Superman, whether it's romantically or just factionally,
1: after we get Lois out of the
0: way. Right, which is why you don't see that happen in deceased because Lois doesn't die. and i I never I don't see Superman and Wonder Woman as a couple. It just doesn't it does not work for me. Not your ship. It's not, but it has less to do with the ship and more to do with what we saw even better presented in that Execution 2001 annual. Lois is part of what grounds Clark in his humanity. And we see that here as well. Pairing him with Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman doesn't ground Superman in being human. Because she herself isn't human. She is a deity or the the child of a deity or created by the gods. She is not one with humanity. And the minute you start removing the things that ground Superman in what makes him human, makes him the most human, more human than Bruce in a lot of cases when he is that grounded, you lose part of what makes the character Superman. And you give a character
1: who's just going to feed whatever small negative impulses
0: he has. When the way she is presented in these stories, usually, yes, she is maybe not the devil on his shoulder, but the hawk that is arguing against his internal dovish nature. The whole plot here is... So I said it in the synopsis, but we've reached a point in the DC universe where we're at second and third generation metahumans and they've become very 90s, very extreme and violent and they've killed most supervillains. And just as another point of reference, it's always the fucking Joker. Always the Joker who sets off these cataclysms. I wonder if the injustice thing is sort of a tribute to Kingdom Come in using the Joker for the same sort of purpose, or if it just, it makes sense that it's the Joker because Lex isn't going to cross that line because it's tacky. Lex would find a better way to do it. And Lex isn't himself crazy enough to try to set off Superman in that way. But we're in a world where now these young quote unquote heroes are just fighting each other because they've got nothing better to do. And the world is falling apart. And so now Superman and the justice league are back, but they're not really making anything better. They're just imprisoning these kids in a gulag. (laughs) Literally
1: calling it the gulag. Yeah.
0: Meanwhile, Luthor has gathered a bunch of masterminds that he is the Mankind Liberation Front. And Bruce has a group of human heroes and is building an underground himself. And it's all being narrated by this pastor who has been granted the prophetic visions from Wesley Dodds, the original Sandman. And he's traveling with the Spectre and they're watching Judgment Day, basically approaching. And there's a line at the beginning that Wesley said to Norman that Wesley would say to people, don't you miss human achievement? And a lot of that is what this is about. This is about humanity having surrendered itself to these superhumans as gods and what happens when they have to sort of reckon with the fact that they don't have control anymore.
1: And you sort of hinted at this earlier. It's not hard to read this as a response to, say, the image boom and the modernization of superheroes, the turn toward darkness and edginess.
0: The principal new-gen hero Magog is, I believe Wade said in an interview, or Ross, without his helmet, he's meant to look like Cable. He's got the scar on the eye, the gray hair, but they put him in a gold ram helmet because the golden calf. There's a lot of biblical imagery in this book. I mean, the title itself, Kingdom Come. There's a lot of biblical imagery in this book. When I first read this when I was 15, when the world was a simpler place in 1996 than it is in 2022. The moment where you first find out about Batman read as the baddest ass thing (laughs) (laughs) that you've got, you know, Superman went away. Wonder Woman went away. Green Lantern went up to a space station and watches for alien threats that aren't coming because the aliens have written off Earth. The Flash is sort of running around and making sure that nothing goes wrong in Keystone, but isn't doing anything. And then Norman McKay asked the Spectre, but there was another one who was human. What of the Batman? The Batman... And you cut to Gotham and you see what looks like a a stick-up at a jewelry store or a convenience store or something. And then these big-ass bat robots just come out of nowhere and grab these criminals. And it's like, Batman has his city under control. And in 1996, that red is badass as all hell. In 2022, there's some fascism in there that is very uncomfortable
1: a future bat does have a tendency to go fascist between uh, this and brother eye and when he can't do it physically anymore i think many writers give him the the grab toward technology the grab toward control it's it's an interesting sort of thought experiment to imagine batman going that far and not having somebody around to stop him.
0: And that's the thing that also you run into with these stories because you never see Batman in these stories where he is going full fascist with a Robin. And in Dark Knight, it's Carrie Kelly who pulls him back from going full fascist. It's part of the tiny and run of Detective. Where part of what Tim is doing in building this Gotham Knights program, not computer program, but you know, the mentoring program, is so Bruce always has a network. So he doesn't give in to those darkest urges. But here he he has, and there's also a lot of xenophobia in what he says. I mean, he's not Luthor xenophobic despite the book sort of hinting that he might be. But that is, of course, Batman playing Luthor because Luthor expects everyone to be as awful as he is. But he still says these things to Superman when Luthor isn't there. I don't see Batman being that much of a xenophobe. I mean, we've seen Batmans who don't trust metas. But... I don't like that. I don't like Batman looking at people as like, oh, you've got powers. You're the enemy. Because I just, I, I don't want my Batman being that much of a, it's not racist, but something. Something. Yes. A uh, Batman shouldn't be prejudiced. Yes. And in the end, you do get this moment where after everything is really going to hell and the, the League has left Superman, and after Bruce has already turned him away once, Superman goes to Batman and is like, I need your help. And Bruce snarks at him, because this is a very snarky Bruce. But in the end, Superman you know, faces him down. It's like, Batman is someone who doesn't want to see anybody die. And Wade gets the core of Batman. Yep. I'm not in love with some of the trappings that he puts on him in here. That one sentence is like, yes, that is exactly Batman. And he's clever throughout this whole story. The way he plays Lex, the way he deduces the one thing that nobody else does, which is a great twist that Luthor is walking around. his His body man and bodyguard seems to be Captain Marvel throughout this entire thing. And then when Batman starts to turn the table on Luthor, the first thing he does, he just punches Captain Marvel and knocks him right down. And Green Arrow, who's one of Bruce's crew, is like, wait, all this time we've been afraid of Billy Batson? And it's, A, it's a great twist from Wade. He's like, yeah, of course, because it's 30 years later. So now Billy Batson isn't eight years old anymore. He looks like Captain Marvel. It makes perfect sense. And it's Bruce with a little help from a very broken, tragically broken Martian Manhunter, who sort of puts two and two together on that one.
1: Uh, his little deduction in the epilogue is fun too.
0: Yes, the epilogue, which was created or for the trade, that was not in the original book. One of two scenes that was added for the collection interesting
1: because for whatever reason i've got this in the digital singles and it's there in the single
0: huh they must have added it in because i have the original floppies and i had to in the end buy the trade because i wanted that scene that and the scene on apocalypse with orion was also not in the original floppies they give me a date nope I am I
1: am consulting the text. I want to see if this is some. No. Yeah, I don't I don't think I have any legal text on this.
0: Yeah, I just I remember those those two scenes being added to the trade. And I'm sure that they've probably added them to the singles because they're probably just using the trade and breaking it up into the chapters versus having to scan the original issues in. Hmm. Weird. Okay. And we haven't even, I mean, the the end with Bruce and Diana fighting and hit Bruce sticking so hard to that you don't take a lifeline and Diana believing that this is war and sometimes there are casualties in war. And We're we're focusing so much on the Batman because that's what this podcast is. But this is more a Superman story in the end. This is about Superman sort of coming back to humanity. And I think it's great that throughout so much of this, since the Joker killed Lois and Superman lost that tether to his humanity, he goes by Kal-El. He goes by Kal, not Clark, until the very end.
1: I, I did actually find what I was looking for. This uh, apparently these digital singles came out in 2010 for some reason. I was going to say something else more pertinent, but I forgot
0: something about Superman. Oh, oh yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Thank thank you. Yeah. Batman feels more integral to the story. Like, I don't think we'd ever cover red sun. I'm not, I wouldn't object to it, but Batman feels m- much smaller in that story as compared to this one but it's been a while since i've read red sun
0: same but this is i mean while this is superman is the the crux of this story it is about the trinity it's about the way these three interact and the way each of their visions would exist in this changed world and it is stunningly beautiful with so many great designs so many designs that have been incorporated into the comic, the the mainstream DCU since because the designs are so cool.
1: I mean, what what can you say about Alex Ross? It's just you pictured in your head what a comic should look like, what it should feel like, what the sort of visual splendor. I mean, it's like Norman Rockwell came to work at DC. It's just it's beautiful.
0: Absolutely. I think i'm I'm good on this one i'll I'll ask
1: one more thing we touched on this uh, a couple of weeks ago where does the sequel go for this
0: the sequel for this goes where in the Bible Magog and gog are these two like hunter things I'm not a biblical scholar we probably could use uh Robert Skundis here to answer this but Gog, the other half of that dyad, starts hunting and killing supermen across dimensions and eventually winds up in the Kingdom Come universe. And there's a whole like time travel thing, and it winds up introducing the concept of hypertime. It has been a very long time since I read The Kingdom.
1: Sounds like they might have thought too hard on that one.
0: I think it was Wade wanting to find a way to bring back the multiverse without bringing back the multiverse in this hypertime concept and use the kingdom as a vehicle for it. And it just was messy. Hmm.
1: Well, with that little question answered, I think it's time
0: to put kingdom come on the big board. We are at 198 stories on the big board. We will be in one more story at 200. Uh, but, right, but right now, number one is and remains. Batman year one, post-crisis origin of Batman. Down at 50 is Venom. The story of Batman taking a super steroid in his early days.
1: And coming in at a sexy 69, it's Detective Comics 965,
0: 968, A Lonely Place of Living. At 100? is Batman Year 100, another story of Batman in the future. Down at 150 is Leaves of Grass, the story where the Floronic Man wants to bring peace to the world through the power of weed. And down at 198, at the bottom, it's Batman White Knight.
1: Boo!
0: Uh, so yeah, we're, we're scrolling way up on this one. I think a good starting point
1: and this is this is really high. New Frontier. How do you feel about Kingdom Come in relation to New Frontier?
0: Oh, that's a hard one. I know. I love New Frontier. I think from a purely personal standpoint, I prefer New Frontier. But this is is more of a bat this is much more batman and batman is much more important to this story than he is to new frontier so are we in the top 15 i think we are it does not make the top 10 because it is not a batman story and that top 10 has to be integral batman stories
1: so that gives us a range which is good for the for the benefit of the listeners out there, currently uh, ten to fifteen is Joker's five way revenge at ten, Gotham Central number twelve to fifteen, soft targets at eleven, Dark Victory at twelve, Arkham Asylum, Serious House, and Serious Earth at thirteen, Legends of the Dark Knight mask at fourteen, and New Frontier at fifteen.
0: So it's it's not making ten. What do you say? To 12. I love Dark Victory, but Dark Victory is a sequel yep. that doesn't quite reach the heights of the original. Yep, It's gorgeous, it's fun, but Kingdom Come has a ton to say, and Batman is very important to Kingdom Come. I was looking right at that 12 spot, I think we're in agreement. New number 12. New number 12. Our second story of the night is Batman Dark Joker The Wild. This is an original graphic novel with uh, the familiar creative team of writer Doug Mensch, penciler Kelly Jones, and inker John Beatty, with colors by Les Dorscheid, letters by Todd Klein, and edited by Denny O'Neill and Jordan B. Gore Finkel. The cover date is January of 1994. In the fantasy realm known as the Wild, the sorcerer called Dark Joker is gaining power and will soon destroy all he can touch. Only the son of two fallen gods, a monstrous Batman, can stand against the mad mage who killed his parents and save the Wild. For chronology's sake, this was released in between Red Rain and Bloodstorm. The Wild. <laughs> This is different than those than, than the the vampire trilogy. This is much less obviously grounded as it is low fantasy, maybe high fantasy. It, it I mean those categories are sort of nebulous, and I think it would probably wind up closer to low fantasy since it's not noble elves and noble heroes, but it's also not your low fantasy Conan trope either. So, yeah, I think this would have benefited
1: from, I wouldn't say falling into sort of those cliches, but at least hewing closer to some of those ideas, right? This feels neither fish nor foul and just how it's just kind of to me feels all over the place and disjointed and weird and just not on any sort of solid storytelling
0: ground. Yeah, the narrative here is sort of all over the place, and you never get any character that I feel like I can attach myself to. No. The Batman is this sort of wild beast who learns to be human, but mostly learns to be human off panels. You see the steps he makes, but you never see how he transitions from purely feral to talking and being more human. And you're not supposed to empathize with the Joker, obviously. And... Excuse me, Dark Joker. Dark dark Joker, (laughs) as they continually make sure it's clear that he is known as Saressa the sorceress, is a trope and then fridged. And you don't spend enough time with the Gordon analog either. Looks like Gordon, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's when he was like, oh, James. Oh, guess what? It's going to be Gordon. It's like, yep. His mustache is a little more fantasy, a little more curled up at the ends. But that's that's about it. Other than it it being Jim thinking about this and looking
1: at it now i think the best way to summarize this is like batman heavy metal
0: yeah this definitely has that vibe bat monster hunting things the dark joker with these ogres and eventually like brain worms that turn people into zombies and like sarissa who is you can turn into a panther, but that is not really clear until later. Jones draws the hell out of it.
1: It's what he's always wanted to do. Like he gets to draw a bat creature.
0: Yes. I'm shocked that I can only think of one or two issues of his run with Mensch that have man bat. It would have been like, you'd think they would have found a way to make freaking Kirk Langstrom, like a supporting character in Batman to allow for Jones to just draw man-bat on the regular.
1: Uh that seems like a
0: tactical error on their part. Dark Joker's flying castle is a big part of this. We got airships, uh, a city in the the trees, the high town where Gordon is the, you know, the, the magistrate. It is a very let kelly jones go to town and draw all kinds of crazy stuff i mean yeah this really does just need like a metal
1: soundtrack probably need to get real real high and then just kind of let this let this book just play like don't try to follow what's going on just enjoy the vibes I
0: mean, it jumps in in media res with the birth of the eventual bat Man, who granted is never addressed as a as Batman in the story. And and suddenly on the last page is like, oh, he can now become human. Huh. Kinda could have used that earlier on. Well, he was taught how to be human, and then now he can actually be human. Yes. By his sister. And and that's where it's like, okay, so now you're playing with the fantasy tropes of, you know, blood calling to blood and all of this. But I think you said it best, and It's neither fish nor fowl. I
1: think, though, given the right DC editorial environment, and maybe today if it was Black Label, we could have steered right into some monster fucking. And, man, that would have been fun.
0: Yeah, this was, well, not code approved and not, you know, because graphic novels weren't sent to the code. DC was still at this point trying to stick to a, a PG maybe pg-13 on this kind of thing
1: i am not personally a monster fucker but i always want to support the monster fuckers out there and i'll want to see them get theirs and that that would have been a nice note here
0: yeah like you give the batman a love interest who is who who is not his sister (laughs) No, no monster fucking fine not into that line no that that line is a hard and fast line but if you you could have done something with that, and if you look on page just as an art a fun art note, and it just I noticed it on my my notes, if you go to page twenty one, there's a panel of the Dark Joker's face that is absolutely Jones lifting an image from The Lost Boys of Kiefer Sutherland's face as the vampire. At least it was page 21 in the version that I read on Infinite. And if it's not 21 in your edition, it's going to be around there. It's a panel lower on the page, and it's just the Dark Joker's face. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that image from the Lost Boys. And Jones, who doesn't tend to photo reference, it it specifically just jumped out at me as him having fun with that particular panel. I can see that. There was one bit that did kind of bug me. And it is when Seressa is murdered by the Dark Joker's monsters. Jones leaned pretty damn heavily into the, you know, sexy violence and sexy corpseness on those pages. And that that is a trope that will always throw me out of a book. Yep. Yep. Oh, they're, they're tearing off her clothes. And it's like, really? Did we really need to go
1: there? And we probably go to uh, eating out of
0: skulls like one too many times. And the the ogres tearing the faces off of people and wearing them. Yeah. It's one of these things where I wonder if that was Mench or if that was Jones just being like, hey, 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 can I have the ogres tear off people's faces? Because I really want to draw the ogres with the human faces stretched across their faces. I think that looks badass.
1: Kelly Jones just wanted to draw some weird, weird shit that he could put on a blacklight poster.
0: Yeah. And he does not color this book, but Les Dorscheid, who does, does get to have some fun at the end when the book goes black and white as Batman fights the Joker inside this transportation orb the Joker uses, the dark Joker uses. What did you think of that? Because it felt a bit muddy to me with the black and white. I
1: mean, this is this is coming a few pages after the uh, airship combat. It's just so surreal. Like, I don't think I have another word for it. And you've got it contrasted on these same pages, like showing what's going on outside of the orb. Like, those panels are still colored, you know, normally.
0: It's just weird. I do not think this one crosses into monkey astronaut territory. I'm trying to decide in my own head what makes something monkey-astronaut and what just makes it sort of weird and half-baked. And this seems to fall in the latter category.
1: Literally half-baked. Because you have to be half-baked to enjoy it.
0: (laughs) Yes. I just don't think it commits enough to the bit. Year 100, holy terror, they commit to the bit. Because there's there's exposition, and, and I
1: understand that exposition. It's it's a it's a fine line. You don't want to be explaining constantly. And goddamn, if Holy Terror didn't explain fucking everything, but this, you're just like, here's just some shit, right? right? You can like it, you can not like it. Here it is. There's no investment.
0: Yes, and like there's some things like the Batman's parents. At some point, they're addressed as gods. At some point, they're sort of sorcerers. What they are is never really clear. And it was like one of the... the, the His father's name is Magister, which it took me a while to realize that that's his name and not a title. Because I thought, I was like, oh, Magister is his title. It's like, wait, no, no, that's his name. Okay. We run into these one you know, one of these every few episodes where often we say things need to be shorter and more streamlined. This is that one that's kind of the opposite. I wish there had been more time to flesh out this world.
1: I think it's good at, let's say, 95 pages, but you just reallocate some of those pages.
0: That could work, too. Yes. I feel like you needed more to attach yourself to in the story. Spend more time in high town with James as your, your grounding as your, you know, your character and leave a lot of the stuff with Saressa. Did you really need to see the, the parents killed? Couldn't it have just started with the rumors of this Batman and then that stuff could have been explained later in a few panels of Seress's exposition but you didn't need to take up the first 5 or 6 pages with this opening and you could have spent more time understanding this Batman character why me monster there was a lot of that, a lot of Frankenstein's monster-y sort of vibes that I don't necessarily think worked or would have worked better if we had had more time to watch him become that
1: yeah and spend some time with some normal ass people uh developing the legend of the batman like give me some kind of weird i don't know snake sheep herder because we can't have normal sheep i'm
0: sure i i the creature he ate me sheep snakes any number of things to just give you a better feel for the world. Because, again, you get these scenes in, you know, like villages, where it's like, oh, and here's the bucolic village for, you know, one or two pages. And, oh, here comes the Dark Joker just wiping them out. Oh, here's the village that Sarissa wanders into. We get a few pages of her trying to warn them, and then them wanting to burn her at the stake as a witch, and then the Dark Joker kills everybody. No character here has enough page space for me to care. And they're all just removed enough from the DC baseline that I don't have that connection. There is no Bruce Wayne here. There is no secret identity. This He isn't necessarily Batman. That's why there's the hyphen in the way he's described on the the back jacket. He's a Bat- man he's not batman but
1: he's got a bat dick
0: and this batman this batman fucks he fucks
1: he, he might not fuck his sister but he fucks <laughs> maybe it's the sheep snakes but yeah if he's if he's gotta wear a loincloth he's got a bat dick
0: i i think th- that's that that's the note to end this one on
1: uh that means it's time, but Batman Dark
0: Joker, the wild on the big board. First, all three of the Batman Vampire trilogy are fairly high. The lowest is the middle chapter Bloodstorm down at fifty four. This isn't above any of those three. Oh no, no, and and let's let's be clear uh
1: red rain and crimson mist are both in the top 20 red rain's
0: in the top 10 we uh we liked that shit it's good shit right because it's grounded it's bruce wayne it's batman it's character it's all character or very much character
1: this has got to go below uh holy terror and that's at 166 but at we very quickly below that we start getting to actively bad stuff uh, or stuff that's just insignificant or just doesn't tell any kind of story or tell some kind of bad story or problematic story. I don't really think this is anything like that. So no. it's, it's not going to be too far below Holy terror, even though it's not in the
0: same realm as Holy terror. So yeah, uh so we want to look below holy terror at one sixty six.
1: I don't think I would put this below night of vengeance at one sixty-eight, because that's that book is actively bad.
0: Yeah, that that's maybe it goes right above night of vengeance below the search for Santa Claus from last episode. I like that. New yeah. one sixty eight. Okay truly we are in the holiday spirit we are and just to say it that was story 200 on the big board Woo! we have made it and and
1: let me let me just sort of posit something really quickly looking at uh, where we have uh that uh what is it that um chasing clay and now that we're putting this down here is Doug Mensch
0: maybe just not a really great writer? I think we haven't read a lot of the best Doug Mensch. Uh, I mean, cause all because also, again, look up at the top. Because you have Crimson Mist, you have Red Rain, you have both halves of Nightfall. Fair. Bloodstorm is still at 54. That's pretty darn high. I mean he's got three stories in the top 20.
1: He's also got some stories at the damn near very bottom. It's
0: just it's just
1: curious. I was thinking about that today, speculating to myself. He wrote
0: so many Batman stories. Uh, he also wrote Batman 500 or 400. So that's in a pretty in a pretty decent spot too. So I think he's wrote so much and we've read stuff on both ends of the spectrum I think we need to read a more before we can judge whether he is not a great writer who every now and then hits one out of the park you're a baseball think about it, a guy who's batting 300 is doing a pretty good job he's well over 300 Ah,
1: uh, you you mentioned baseball God, gotta relish in the good baseball news today, large adult son coming back to the Yankees And we'll most likely retire a Yankee.
0: We could always use another slugger. (sighs) Now on to the final story of the night. The final story of the night is Batman Houdini Devil's Workshop. This is an Elseworlds one shot written by Howard Chaykin and John Francis Moore with art and colors by Mark Chiarello. Letters by Ken Brusinac and edited by Denny O'Neill and Scott Peterson. The cover date is November of 1993. Someone is kidnapping children from the streets of 1907 Gotham City in the neighborhood of the Devil's Workshop. A newly returned Batman and the master illusionist Harry Houdini join forces to find the killer and learn whether something truly supernatural is at work. First up, problematic creator watch with Howard Chaikin, who is has made some transphobic and Islamophobic statements and such uh, or at least Uh, through his work has yeah Uh, even if he i don't know has ever said anything particularly off kilter in interviews like some of these guys do his work speaks in that way so important to call that out uh now i'm sure we'll get into
1: this but i wanted to clarify here at the beginning he is jewish correct i mean given the slurs in this book (laughs) i would i would really hope that he is
0: I yeah, believe me, the the rampant anti-Semitism in this book, and that's it's again one of these questions where that was accurate for the time, but who oh boy, yes, Chaykin is Jewish, or at least he is. I, I want to make sure I'm reading this. Yeah, he is a cultural Jew. I mean, he's of Jewish ancestry, but he's an atheist. But yeah, so he's at least a, a cultural Jew. Ah, so he's uh, he's making war on the old faith and the Jason Aaron uh, variety. Something like that, yes. But he is of Jewish ancestry. But yeah, I will flat out say the number of flat out full on anti-semitic slurs in here you are not getting away with that today uh, absolutely not and not without
1: some kind of content warning that DC has started to include in their books this has been uh, at least in a couple of books that we've read and I don't think we've talked about it. I like the flag I would change maybe a little bit of the wording like I think their wording is literally triggering and I I think we can just do a better job of the discourse in that um you know they say that like, in in a in striving to be like historically accurate or to portray these things as you know as they are or whatever uh this book contains certain words and things that you know we think are important but they might be triggering and it's just that word just strikes me as off but i appreciate dc both like staring this stuff at the face and including a note for readers
0: it was we've seen it in Gotham Year 1 and GCPD the blue wall
1: yeah those are the two that that stick out in my mind and that appears to be a house style moving forward because the language the design for both of those was the same
0: yeah we're entering a time where these are things that need to be addressed that you you can't whitewash history Nor can you sort of do the opposite of having diversity in period pieces that wasn't accurate to the time, because that is denying an experience or denying the history of it. And speaking of colorblind casting, we have a black Alfred in this book. That's just like barely a thing. Yeah, there's one line about him not having, not being comfortable going down to the South and him having fought with Thomas Wayne during the Civil War. And that's really it. And I felt like there was going to be more when that's on the first couple of pages. And then it's just like, okay, Black Alfred. And you just move on from it. Like, okay. And he's gone. Yep, he barely appears in the book. He appears, I think, in one or two other scenes after that. Oh, before and also before we get any further, the art here is by Mark Chiarello, who is a painter of some not inconsiderable talent, but is probably better known as being the VP of Art and Design at DC for 27 years from the early 90s until 2019. This is the guy who was responsible for Black and White, for Solo, for Wednesday Comics. He's you know the editor for New Frontier, the guy who got Jim Lee and Jeff Loeb together for Hush and was the assistant to Archie Goodwin during Goodwin's time at Marvel.
1: It's a, that's a real resume. For this book, it's strange. So, like in some situations where I think he's working basically from reference, faces are very detailed. Expressions are very detailed. Where, again, it feels like he is modeling a specific person in a specific picture. But in everywhere else, backgrounds... Other scenes with people, no detail whatsoever. Like there's, there's no middle ground here. It's either hyper detailed or
0: there's a complete lack of detail. He has done a lot of portraiture in his career. He released a book a couple of years ago, which he did the a hundred portraits of the hundred greatest baseball players of all time. And it's a stunning book, but it also is just portraits with no backgrounds. Yes, his, his faces, his characters are really stunning. And there are also some of the you know landscape shots, some of the buildings. He clearly did his research on how some of this stuff should look. But yeah, he does a lot of the foreground is very detailed and the background is just sort of there and flat. But we've talked a lot about a lot of other things. We haven't actually talked a lot about what this book is, which is Batman and Houdini hunting down a Joker analog who is working for a pair of vampires.
1: Yes, that is a good synopsis here. I think when you got Houdini, I think you're pretty set in terms of like a character and a fun story. You don't have to add vampires into it.
0: The vampires, they really feel like they came out of left field.
1: They came out of Renfield. <laughs>
0: um, I need a rimshot sound effect. I'll have to work on that.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yes, the yeah, Joker I, as Renfield is a weird
0: choice. I
1: have an exceptionally weird choice. Have Batman and Houdini solve a regular ass like jack the ripper right have this be a better version of gotham by gaslight since that's basically what it was trying to be this is gotham by gaslight with harry houdini and some vampires
0: yeah and there's so much historical reference throughout like lines hinting at you know houdini's friendship with or talking about houdini's friendship with conan doyle with the Wright brothers, our uh, reference because Bruce Wayne buys an early version of the plane. Tom Mix is a character. There's a lot of that, like Elseworlds. Like, hey, we're having a lot of fun with using reality mixed in here, and it's ugh, just the sh- the levels. I I just I'm looking through my notes, and just so much anti-Semitism. And as far as I can tell, having looked him up, Tom Mix is the first one to drop the anti-Semitic slur. And as far as I can tell, there's nothing in his background that marks him as particularly anti-Semitic. So other than that, maybe just being what people said at the time, I, I, it's like, oh, you're, you're putting that word in the mouth of a real person you better have some reference somewhere that that guy was an anti-semite because otherwise ugh. did Houdini face
1: a lot of this? Oh I, yeah.
0: I, okay, I, I I was not aware of that. H- Houdini was an did nothing to hide his Jewishness and this was not a time that was friendly to to the tribe.
1: Uh there, there have not been many times that were friendly,
0: unfortunately, my friend. Lazowitz, I am quite familiar <laughs> i have been on the the receiving end of that particular slur on more than one occasion in my life uh... yeah and then the the fact that joker jack schadenfreude which is, is there, there's a name is he's kidnapping children and then they find all these dead children strung up and drained and again i'm kind of like I wasn't sure if they were really vampires at that point or if they were, you know, draining the blood from the bodies and drinking it, thinking that they were vamp, that they themselves believed they were vampires. More of a, a Countess Elizabeth Bathory, you know, bathing in the blood of virgins to maintain her youth kind of thing, rather than them being supernatural vampires. But nope, they were supernatural vampires.
1: Now, you see, I, th- I think a better story, because again, I'm always rewriting stories. Uh, punching them up. It's a service I provide. What if you just take this in like an Upton Sinclair sort of direction, which is where I thought it was going to go. You know, the kids are missing because they're being made to work in the slaughterhouse. And eventually when the kids can't work no more, you turn them into the meat.
0: Oh, a little Sweeney Todd.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then you have Batman and Houdini like, all right. You're you're exploiting these uh, these children. You're you have you have created this toxic, terrible workplace. Uh, We're going to fuck you
0: up now. Right. You don't have to have vampires. And there's there's a lot of talk of class in Houdini's narration. This whole thing is narrated by Houdini. And there's a lot of, you know, him sort of rolling his eyes at Bruce Wayne, who he quickly deduces is Batman. And a lot of, you know, oh, with my talent and his money, what I could have done kind of would have liked to have seen more of bruce training with houdini in this story but, you know he he still knew as being batman here and it would have been cool to have him actively training with houdini versus sort of just picking up a skill here or there
1: ah uh, and houdini's a smug little shit about it too oh, yeah oh, oh oh batman he he can't he can't pick the lock Ooh. He's a dum-dum.
0: Lots of comments about his theatrics. And, you know, you should be an actor. And Batman just be like, fuck you. And, and by the way, you can tell this is only co-written by Chaykin and not fully written by Chaykin because there is not a single blowjob in this book. Oh! Oh! Seriously, it is a Chaykin, like, hallmark.
1: I gotta think he was thinking maybe if not angling for a sequel, he was at least thinking about it because I don't think you bring up the idea of a Senator Wayne without making that happen.
0: Yes. There was actually another bit again of weird racism because again, there's that scene with the, the, the second scene with Alfred is when Houdini comes storming into Wayne Manor to show Bruce the, the footage he had filmed that the seance where the vampires don't show up on film. And he tells Batman to, or Bruce to have your boy, quote unquote, do something. Yeesh. And it's like, oh, and again, it's like, you're putting the words in Houdini's mouth. And this is a real person. Again, who I, as far as I, I haven't read any biographies of Houdini, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that he was particularly known as a racist. So, but again, we are in that territory of I am not comfortable with some of this stuff without at least a, you know, some way to address it. And Vicki Vale, we, we haven't even mentioned Vicki Vale is in this. And again, there's a lot of, you know, her as the suffragette and a lot of rolling their eyes at the new woman. While there is misogyny, there is no she's never called anything particularly nasty like Houdini is on multiple occasions. Such a strange decision. Yeah. like th- There's one line towards the end, although the one line at the end that really got is again in Houdini's narration, as modern as they get, these women still don't know when to shut up. It's like, Oh, really? You had to go there. I, I, almost wish this had actually been placed in continuity with holy terror and master of the future like you could have done something with this being that exact world and that version of batman because they're not that far removed from each other even in the design of batman here is very akin to the mignola design uh you mean uh gotham by gaslight yes what did i say
1: you said Holy Terror.
0: Oh, yeah. I meant, yes, Gotham by Gaslight and Master of the Future.
1: Yeah, the design is basically identical.
0: And I mean, it, it's a great design. And it, it works with what they're doing here. You know, you could have, I, I would have rather they focused on Houdini, the Ghostbreaker And yes. not had the real supernatural, but had it be yes. something that was a scam.
1: That was the thing he did. That was that was something he was known for.
0: Yeah, that's the thing that broke up his friendship with Conan Doyle. Indeed, it was because Doyle was a devout spiritualist, and Houdini was like, "No, I'm going to keep proving all these people are, are scamming people,
1: mediums and psychics, still working today. God bless America.
0: You know, let me let never be said that I will not." take a good pot shot at the stupidity of the american public that's not just america although the origins of spiritualism are right here in america with a couple of little girls who scammed a bunch of people so (laughs) but yeah i mean you you get again hints of that but boy i would have liked more of that within this story or if you were gonna do something really supernatural Give us more of that at the beginning. Don't just sort of add it in in the last 20 pages of a 60 page story.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it feels almost like a Scooby-Doo type story where at the end they take off the mask and it's like, oh, shit, this was a real ghost the whole time. Holy fuck.
0: Right. And it feels like the Joker was in there as a blind to keep you from really paying attention to the fact that you've got real vampires here, then when you've got the Joker as the Renfield, you're paying so much attention to Joker, you're not realizing, oh shit, he's actually working for a vampire. I mean, listen, we've read way worse, but this one was not a success in many ways, and I would, I personally, I can't get past the 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 the, the volume of anti-Semitic explorers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh but hey, it's going to be the best vampire story on the list.
0: Except for Batman, you know, except for Batman Dracula.
1: Oh, 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 that's no. That's just a Batman story that happens to have vampires. Okay. I'm talking about the vampire stories at the bottom <laughs> of the list.
0: Yes. Yes it will. Until next week, but we'll get to that. We get some it's kind of nice to end the week with this one because we're going to be segueing into some some vampires shortly. But yeah, uh, I don't think I have much else here.
1: Oh, that means it's time for Batman, Houdini, the Devil's
0: Workshop on the big board. <sighs> okay, so we—I think we have to go down into problematic book territory here.
1: Yeah, I—I I think we're in the
0: one nineties. Yeah. The question here is, does the fact that it is problematic outweigh the fact that it is still a better story than some of the just bad stories above that area? Okay, I mean, here's a good question. Blue, the gray, in the bat is at 193. That is the one with the dark nights. Again. But that felt like well-intentioned, like look at me, I'm being a good white ally, and instead you're writing something that is not good.
1: And Earth One is vile. Yep. And what it does with Alfred and Bruce fighting with Alfred.
0: And uses a child molester and killer as a plot device. (sighs) I liked this better than I liked the blue, the gray, and the bat. It is more bald-faced in its racism, but it is not clumsily racist. It, I feel like, is them trying to make a point, but doing it in a way that is like, oh, that's that's yes, you're pointing out how much how anti-Semitic people were back in 1907, but you can do that without using that word half a dozen times over the course of this book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You want to say, you want to put it right above Blue, the Gray, the Bat.
0: Ah, um, You want to put it above Dawnbreaker? I, I would put it above Dawnbreaker. Does it go above Unseen? Unseen was just plodding.
1: Yeah, Unseen was just kind of a mess. It was um,
0: not offensive, but the, the ones right above that are mostly just plodding. unseen chasing clay one night in Gotham city is kind of offensive because it's missing it's it's misogynist so that 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 is definitely offensive but it's a better story in some ways despite it having too many clay faces I still think I might read chasing clay before this just because the J.H. Williams art and the first appearance of Cameron Chase who's a character I love but I think I would read this again before I reread Unseen because I just I can't go through 5 issues of that again.
1: No. Mm-mm.
0: But Chasing Clay is also shorter than this. It's a double size, it's not like triple sized. So I think 191 that'll do it. Yep. Bring up the bottom 10. We have been all over the place tonight. That does it for tonight. Next week, Patreon backer Tim Rooney makes his request, and it's three stories of Batman fighting various iterations of the vampire known as the Monk. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote, June, Conduit of Outdated Joke Names, Jin, Keman, Josh Wheel, Mrs. Abigail Hartbaum, um... Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, Sam Hopper, John Wickham, Robert Secundus, Bye Bad Two Bucks, Tim Rooney, and Giorgio Sragioli for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batch Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, slash Audible, and on comicsxf.com where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon where you can get shout outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at mattlas 1013 And I'm at Will Nevin. I'm also out of here. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat Books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend, Dan Grote, and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.